Hey everyone, this is Jason Shepard, and you're listening to the Commercial Pilot Podcast by M0A.com, where a good pilot is always learning. When do we need to notify the NTSB? Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here of M0A.com, and you're listening to the Commercial Pilot Podcast brought to you by our number one rated online ground school, groundschoolacademy.com, complete private instrument and commercial pilot online ground schools. And if you are a current member of ours, we've just had so much success with the commercial pilot online ground school, 100% pass rate of the knowledge test, 100% pass rate of the check ride. Just uh, got some great feedback, Uh, a uh, member of ours, a 96% on the knowledge test. It's just a huge success. So if you haven't checked it out, groundschoolacademy.com for your knowledge test prep, for your check ride prep. Let's dive into our topic this uh, today, notification and reporting really on aircraft incidents and really or aircraft accidents. And first off, we have to define some things. We'll get into when we report, how we report, everything else, but there's some key definitions we need to explain. The first is, how does the FAA define an accident? Because actually, when they talk about reporting, they say, I'm to report an accident or these incidents, and they list out those incidents, but we have to go back to figure out, okay, what is an accident? So an accident is an occurrence associated with the operation of an aircraft, which takes place between the time any person boards the aircraft with the intention of flight and when all such passengers have disembarked. So from the time that any person boards with the intent of flying so that last person gets off the plane, you could be that person, right? That have the intent of flying. If during that time period in which any person suffers death or serious injury or in which the aircraft has been or receives substantial damage. And that's the definition of an accident. But to better understand the definition of an accident, you have to define serious injury or, to the aircraft, substantial damage. So the FAA, it's very interesting how they do this. They actually come out and they don't specifically tell you what is substantial damage. And this is what's mind-boggling to me, but in a way it's smart on their part. So in the event of an accident, they've got some leeway to say what's an accident, what's an incident, and they can flex on it. So instead of telling you this is substantial damage, because I believe that they've come across things that they didn't think could happen to airplanes when they investigate some of these uh, accidents and incidents. So instead, they've made a list of here's what's not substantial damage. An engine failure or damage limited to an engine if only one engine fails or is damaged. So an engine failure in flight, as it happens, is not considered an accident. Or not consider, because it's not considered substantial damage. Now, if you go down and crash land the airplane, we could venture into that. But initially, when that engine quits, it's not considered an accident yet. And it may not be. You may have a safe landing uh, you know, somewhere, and there's nothing to, nothing to see here, and we move on, right? So if engine failure or damage limited to an engine if only one engine fails or is damaged... Two is bent fairings or bent cowling, not substantial damage. Continue with this theme of not substantial damage. Dented aircraft skin or small small puncture holes in the skin or fabric. Four, ground damage to rotor or propeller blades. 
And the final one is damage to the landing gear, wheels, tires, flaps, engine accessories, brakes, or wingtips. Not defined as substantial damage. Now we know that, okay, what in this case then is an incident? An incident now is damage to property other than the aircraft estimated to exceed $25,000 for repairs, including materials and labor of fair market value in the event of a total loss, whichever is less. $25,000, that's the big number to remember there, damage to property. It estimated to exceed that. An in-flight fire or a flight control system malfunction or failure or a complete loss of information, excluding flickering from more than 50% of the aircraft's electronic cockpit displays, such as an EFIS, my electronic uh, flight information systems. So that's something new they added, right? With G1000s and everything else, an incident's a complete and total loss of information. Now, when do we actually have to report it? And again, this is the reason I share this with you. I know this isn't the sexiest topic to talk about, and you'd rather maybe do an accident investigation rather than talk about this, but this is the kind of stuff that pops up on a knowledge test. These are the, definitely the items that come up on a checkride. You need to have your little means of remembering them. It's going to be so important. Immediate notification to the NTSB if it's an accident and we kind of define what makes an accident. Immediate notification to the NTSB if it's the inability of a required crew member to, per to perform normal flight duties because of an in-flight injury or illness. Immediate notification for an in-flight fire. Immediate notification for a flight control system malfunction or failure. Immediate notification, an overdue airplane is believed to have been in an accident. They just wanna know so they can start the search, right? and immediate notification of uh, an aircraft collision in flight, such as a midair. Now, there's the popular question of that report or a report shall be filed within 10 days. And that is when requested, when we're talking about that. So there's immediate notification. And then there's this idea of, okay, there's also this thing I hear about this 10 days, I have to file a report. When do I have to do that? When I'm actually requested, that's when that really comes into, uh, comes into play there, okay? And that's upon request. So that could be an incident. When shall an incident report be filed? Well, that's upon request. And I want to tie this into a little something different too that a lot of you may have never heard of something called a NASA report. And this is this still relates perfectly with NTSB 830 and a NASA report, it doesn't have to be an incident or an accident. A NASA report is actually, it's, it's technically called the Aviation Safety Reporting Program. NASA just happen, happens to head it up so it gets called a NASA form, a NASA report. You'll hear those terminologies. And this is any time you believe you've done something incorrect. You busted airspace and you know what? No one caught you, but you self-report it. And you bust a TFR, but no one said anything to you. No one met you at the airport when you landed, but you self-report it. And you self-report it because you know what? They probably do know and they're prob it's probably going to catch up with you. And because you self-reported and confessed it, 
Well, it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Here's what it actually says in 9125 Aviation Safety Reporting Program. A permission against use of reports for enforcement purposes. The administrator of the FAA will not use reports submitted to the submitted to NASA under the Aviation Safety Reporting Program or information derived therefrom in any enforcement action except information concerning accidents or criminal offenses, uh, which are wholly excluded from the program. So accidents and criminal offenses are excluded from the NASA report. But if you were to bust a TFR, and trust me, geez, with ADSB and everything else as it is today and as it's going to be, it's going to be a whole lot easier to follow those violations because you and I have both pulled up ForeFlight when you can see all those tail numbers there and you know exactly who's doing what now, don't we? So that being said, if you were to fly in some restricted airspace that was hot, that you thought was cold, busted TF, they're going to know, right? And when you realize it and you catch it hopefully before, before they do or you know, in time to file this NASA report, this Aviation Safety Reporting Program report, and really, you're telling on yourself, as silly as it sounds, but you're protecting yourself as well. And by filing that NASA report and self-reporting that, if they ever do come back to you, you've got this protection from any enforcement action except you know, regarding accidents and thus criminal offenses. You're protecting your investment, which is your education and your pilot certificate. And obviously, you're striving to be a commercial pilot one day. That is an investment you don't want to give up easily. Obviously, we try to never have accidents, incidents, bust airspace, but things happen. I've talked to some professional pilots. We all have stories of, man, here's the dumb thing I did. Here's when they, when they said contact tower, and I never contacted tower, and I just landed anyways because I got distracted. And just there's, there's so many stories out there. And we've all got them, you know? We get distracted in the cockpit. Sometimes the life of a commercial pilot can be difficult, but it's important to exercise self-reporting as well. And know your incidents, know your accidents. I promise this will be on the knowledge test. This will be on the check ride. If you need help with this, please go check out our online ground school, groundschoolacademy.com. Or just go on m0a.com, click on online ground school. It'll take you there as well. So listen, thanks so much for helping make the private, the instrument, the commercial pilot, and the CFI podcast, the number one rated aviation podcast in iTunes. We couldn't do it without all of you and your great reviews. Enjoy the rest of your day. And most importantly, remember that a good pilot is always learning. Have a great day, guys. See ya.